0: All right. We are um, continuing in our Advent series, The Power of Small. And today we're going to talk about small prayers, um, specifically prayers that are based on hope, the hope that God is going to be faithful and fulfill his promises. And the reality is um, that we need hope in our world today. Sometimes uh, we um, allow like the Christmas season to sort of be like a a band aid over a lot of uh pain and woundedness that we feel, and uh, there there's uh you know, everybody's smiling and happy on the outside, and we don't really know what's going on on the inside and then and then december twenty sixth comes and sometimes it's like was that that was that was it huh that was <laughs> oh, we we spent a whole month building up, and now it's and now it's over, and that was now we're back to the reality of the, the world that we live in. We go back to our jobs and go back to our, uh, our sometimes our anxiety, sometimes our loneliness, and, and just kind of, we just kind of cover over it during this season. But that's not what God intends. God intends for Jesus to, to bring hope uh, every day, not, not just during the month of December. And we're, we're in a world desperately in need of hope. And you can, you can read the headlines for yourself. You can see that that's true. Um, you can you can recite all of the reasons why there's, there's hopelessness in the world. Uh, but I just wanted to share one uh, study that I saw recently. Uh, Boston University did a survey of 33,000 college students in, in uh, November of 2020. They um, surveyed college students about uh, just, just kind of how they were feeling about life, about, um, about you know their purpose, about uh, their future. And they found that 50% of the students they surveyed uh, showed um, markers for anxiety and depression, 50%. Um, Two thirds, 66% uh, said that they were experiencing loneliness and isolation uh, in a way that was impacting their, their daily life. Uh, that's, that's college students and that was, that was a year ago, um, but d- do you think it's gotten a lot better in the last year? <laughs> uh, or, or is there something there's something kind of settled into our, our culture, settled into our communities, uh, into our nation, uh, and really all across the world that has seen an increase in depression and anxiety for the last 15 years. And that's that really hasn't changed much. But the real increase is in loneliness and isolation. Uh, it's really still continuing to rise in the United States. And that, th- those things, depression, anxiety, loneliness, are all just one step away from hopelessness, right? And despair and hopelessness for Christians should be like a bad word, right? (laughs) I mean, we we have a lot of bad words, things that we're we're not allowed to say. Uh, Man, it it feels like we shouldn't be allowed to say hopelessness because of who God is and who Jesus is. But man, it's just a reality that that's part of life for a lot of people. Hopelessness means I don't I don't think things are getting better for me. I don't think it's going to get better tomorrow or ten years from now or or as long as i 'm going to live it 's just going to be bad, and I just have to deal with it and that, that, that is not what we 're created for, but how do we, how do we pull out of that? How do we help other people pull out of that? Uh, part of it is I think we, we think that uh, this is as bad as it 's ever been for the world we got to go, man things just keep getting worse and worse and and you know on, on a moral level on an ethical level when, when it comes to just what we have to look forward to. Things are getting worse and worse while there, there are people on the other side that, that think things are getting better, that humans are getting smarter and more developed and, all the time. And, and those two ideas just clash and we're not really sure how to feel or what, what to believe about the state of, of the world, the state of our own lives sometimes. So it's helpful to remember that uh, this is not as bad as it's ever been, that there are people who've had it worse than you. Uh, there, are, there are whole periods of time eras that have been worse than what we're living in now, and to try to put ourselves in other people's shoes from time to time. So let's just take a minute and let's try to put ourselves in the shoes of someone who was living uh, as a Jew in Israel during the time of Jesus' birth, the first first century in Israel. What was it like for them? Were they experiencing, you know, just a lot of reasons for hope? Were they experiencing a really positive outlook for the future? Probably not. Probably not. What, the story of the Jews for about 400 years after, uh, you know, the, as a people, they were sort of carted off to foreign land and exiled from their homeland. And they were able to come back uh, in the middle of the fifth century BC to Jerusalem and start trying to rebuild and rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls. But they never really had independence. Uh, there, there, was, there were a few periods um, that total about maybe 20, 25 years from, from 400 all the way to the birth of Jesus, maybe 20 years where they were independent as a nation. Outside of that, they, they were just constantly being occupied and conquered and ruled over by foreign powers. Uh, Israel was always just the, the small, weak country that uh, the other uh, empires would just come through and and just kind of collect on their way to you know global domination, like a like a real life game of risk. You know, you just you you pick up these little countries and and put them in your pocket. Like that's what that was Israel. So they lived under this this these oppressive, often oppressive rules. They were often given um, freedom to sort of continue to practice their faith, but there was there was internal tension within uh, the Israelites because. Some people found that if you just went along with the Greeks or the Romans or whoever was in charge, that you could they could make your life easier in a lot of ways if you just kind of go along with, with whatever they say. While others would say, no, no, we, in order to be faithful to the God uh, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, in order to be faithful to the Torah, we, we have to push back. Like our goal should be to kick these people out of our country and to get our land back. And so even within, among the Jews, there were, there were tensions, there were different ideas about who we should be as a people, what we should do. And they lived this way for hundreds of years with this internal tension in their country. This identity crisis, are we just sort of, you know, Greek Jews now, or, or are we just sort of like a, a Roman province now, or are we still the people of God living in the land that God promised to our ancestors? Who are we as a people? And they just lived that way for hundreds of years. And they had these promises from the prophets, promises that God one day would send someone who would reestablish the kingdom of God in Jerusalem and reestablish the power of the people of God. And along the way for these hundreds of years, many people gave up on that promise. They gave up because it didn't happen. It just kept not happening, right? And when something just keeps not happening at some point, you just kind of go, well, maybe maybe my life would be easier if I just forgot about that promise because I keep, I keep getting disappointed. So maybe I'll just forget about that promise and just move on. But... In in this in the Christmas story, as we read it in the Gospel of Luke, there are two people that show up that didn't forget, that never gave up on the promise of God that He would one day send someone who would restore Israel, who would bring comfort and peace. So today we're just gonna read about the prayers of Simeon and Anna from Luke chapter two. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open up there. And we're just gonna look at these two people who just they just get a couple lines of, of uh text in the whole story of the Bible. But that's more than you and I got. So, so they did something to stand out. So I just wanna read a little bit about Simeon and Anna and understand what their story is and why they're in this and what it, what it is about their prayers that God honored them in a really special way. Let's start with Simeon, Luke 2, 25. So this So this takes place after Jesus was born and his parents, Mary and Joseph, bring him to the temple to be circumcised and dedicated to the Lord. to what he said but he he gets to see Jesus the Messiah that he was God promised him through the Holy Spirit you're going to see the Messiah before you die and the Holy Spirit is just all over this little section of scripture it's really pretty cool because the Holy Spirit didn't didn't kind of show up in the Old Testament in the same way that he does after Jesus uh, dies and and ascends and starts the church the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts seems seems a lot different than the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament because and before the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit just comes on people and it just kind of you know, has impact on people from the outside. And when Acts comes along, uh, followers of Jesus have the Holy Spirit on the inside and Holy Spirit's working inside people to do things. But God has chosen Simeon to send the Holy Spirit on this man because he has been praying for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel. What, is, what does that mean? What is, he, what is he hoping for? It says he's waiting for this to happen. What does that mean? Consolation is about wounds being healed and loss being comforted. In Simeon's memory and in the the history of his people, there are a lot of wounds. There are wounds that that are from outside, these foreign powers that come in and just continue to oppress and pick apart uh, this nation. But there are also some self-inflicted wounds that the Israelites have suffered through idolatry and turning away from God. And the prophets said that God would someday console Israel and heal these wounds. There's a lot of loss that they've experienced, like actual human lives lost in this process, just to getting to this point. But there's also loss of identity as a nation. And Simeon believes... He, he continues to hope. He continues to trust the promises of God through the prophets that one day God is going to heal these wounds. One day God is going to make this right. Simeon is praying in line with the prophecies of Isaiah. Let me just read a couple verses from Isaiah chapter 40 where Isaiah writes this message from God. Comfort, comfort my people says your God speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed that her sin has been paid for and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins now Isaiah writes that at a time when this is not yet true it's not yet true that that the problems for Israel have gone away in fact they're going to experience hundreds of years Isaiah wrote this in like the 8th century BC and for 800 700 more years they continue to experience oppression at the hands of foreign powers so Isaiah's not talking about something that's already happened. He's talking about something that's going to happen. Comfort is coming someday. God is going to heal these wounds. Someday God is going to comfort your losses. And Simeon never stopped believing in that. After hundreds of years of it not happening, all of this history of saying, man, man, When Alexander the Great came through, that would have been a great time for God to show up and comfort and restore. When the Romans came through, when Antiochus Epiphanes was sacrificing pigs in our temple, man, that would have been a great time for for God to, to restore and renew Israel. And it kept not happening, but he never gave up. He continued to believe that God was gonna comfort and console. And so he gets this incredible gift this incredible gift. God honors his hopefulness and his prayer of hope. So uh, he he gets to see Jesus and he's he's, um, depending on the promises of God. I I wanna talk just a minute about the promises of God. I, I believe that this prayer of hope, it points to the promises of God. Hope is always based on a promise, right? Hope is always based on a promise. So what are the promises of God? And what would it look like for us to pray prayers of hope based on the promises of God. So first of all, it's important that we understand what God has not promised because I think we can get confused about that sometimes. Uh, God has, has not promised a prosperous life for you. Uh, there, there's sometimes we can read scripture and we can, we can kind of pull some things out that sound really good to our ears without really understanding where it comes from. One of those examples is uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And we go, God wants to prosper me. That's what it says. That's not what it says. God God wasn't saying that to any individuals. God was saying that to the nation. And it was in the context of a letter in Jeremiah 29, where God was actually telling the people through Jeremiah, you're in exile in Babylon and it's not going to get any better for a while. You're going to be there for 70 years. So you might as well go ahead and build homes there and plant gardens there because you're just, you're going to be stuck there for a while. In fact, many of the people that were in exile and they heard Jeremiah 29, 11 read to them, died in exile. They never got to go back to Jerusalem. This was not about God saying, hey, as individuals, I want to, I want to prosper you. It was about, hey, I have a plan for this nation. I'm going to preserve a remnant. And someday, man, someday, I'm going to make all things new. That's what that promise was about. So it's helpful for us to know what God has not promised. He's not promised that he would never give you more than you can handle. That is not in the Bible, I'm sorry to say. In fact, we often run into more than we can handle in life, don't we? I mean, there are, how many times have you said, I just, I just don't know how I'm gonna get through this. He's just promised to be with us in the midst of that. God has not promised that everyone is gonna spend eternity with him in new creation. He's, he never made the promise that everyone is gonna spend eternity. It's, it's those who come to faith in Jesus. Those who are set free from sin by the blood of Christ. So what has God promised? Let's let's look at a couple promises God has made. Um, Jesus in John chapter fourteen says, "Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God; believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am." Jesus promised that He is coming back to invite us in to new creation to His kingdom eternity with him, that is a promise. What would it look like for us to pray small prayers of hope like Simeon prayed based on this promise? How often do you pray that Jesus would come back? I mean, it keeps not happening, right? (laughs) How long has it been? A couple thousand years. It's easy to look at these 2,000 years that have gone by since Jesus made that promise and go, well, maybe it's not gonna happen. You know, maybe we're misunderstanding something. Maybe we're not reading this right. I don't know. This promise is pretty clear. Second Peter, Peter, who is a disciple of Jesus, writes about this to encourage people who are being persecuted for their faith, to give them something to look forward to in the future, to give them hope. Peter reminds them of some of the promises of God. Here's what he says in 2 Peter chapter 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he has promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So even just a few decades after Jesus made this promise that he would return, there are people saying, well, it hasn't happened yet, so maybe it's never gonna happen. That was just a few decades. We're we're living several centuries after? How much easier is it for us to start to give up on this promise? But Peter says again in verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Peter says it is going to happen. Don't give up. So I, th- I think we, we sometimes conflate like God and human beings, and we think God is going to act like human beings, and human beings don't always fulfill their promises, do they? Uh, when I lived in Georgia um, I had a, we had a guy in our church who every, every April would show up with, uh, his, his hat and his, and his badge from the Masters, the, the golf tournament in Augusta. He would go to the Masters every year and he'd, he'd wear his hat and his badge. And I would ask him questions about how, you know, how was it? And, and who, who won? And, and I'm not a big golf person, but I knew I knew, like this was during like the Tiger Woods heyday. I knew Tiger was, I knew who Phil Mickelson was and Sergio Garcia. I just remember some of those names. And, and I would ask him all these questions. He would say, you know what? I, I'll just take you with me next year. You know, I, I, get, I get tickets every year. I'll just, I'll just take you with me next year. I lived there for six years. I never went to the master's. And, and so at some point along about year four or five, I, I started to get the picture. This is, this is never going to happen. <laughs> this is just something that he says. It's not something he's actually going to do. I never, I, I never, I just gave up. I was like, okay, He says this, but he doesn't really mean it. And we kind of look at some of the promises of God and we go, man, Jesus said he's coming back, but it's been 2,000 years and it hasn't happened. And, And he says new creation is coming, but man, things just seem to keep getting worse and maybe it's not gonna happen. God is not a human being who lets people down. He is the faithful one and his word is true. And if he says it, he'll do it. Don't give up. In fact, pray for it to happen. Like we can stand in the line of Simeon and we can pray that God would bring consolation, not just for Israel. But here's, here's what Simeon's prayer, here's how this, this prayer ends. I wanna uh, skip down to Luke uh, 2, 36. Let's pick up where Simeon left off. Uh, verse uh, 29, sorry. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared inside of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel." So when Jesus shows up, Simeon knows what's going on. He knows this is not just about consolation for Israel. This is not just about wounds of Israel being healed and loss of Israel being comforted. This is also a light for the Gentiles, which in his mind was the rest of the world. So there's Israel and the rest of the world are Gentiles. And Simeon goes, this is gonna be for everyone. Everyone in the world is gonna see the light of Jesus. Everyone in the world is gonna be invited in to this promise of God, of God, binding up wounds, healing wounds, and bringing comfort for those who have, uh, are grieving. And, and Simeon is just, I mean, he's just blown away, and he, he just kind of goes, okay, I'm ready to die now. I'm ready to go. You, you have shown me all I ever cared to see, and, and I could die in peace today knowing that I have seen your salvation. When we get to stand in line with Simeon, we get to pray this prayer that God would restore, that he would bring hope, that he would heal the wounds that we see in the world around us, that we see in in our own communities, that we see in our own families, that we see in our own hearts, that God has has promised to heal wounds and to comfort those who are grieving. And we get to lean into that. We get to pray along with Simeon that that would happen. Here's here's how Peter talks about that in 2 Peter 3 again. um, This is a great chapter just to read that in line with hope and promises. Uh, Here's what he says in verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We, we look around and we go, man, it's been 2,000 years and it still hasn't happened yet. Why hasn't it happened yet? Well, Peter says, well, here's, here's, here's one reason. Here's part of why it hasn't happened yet. God is waiting for more people to come into the kingdom through Jesus. That's what he's waiting for. That, that's, that's part of why it hasn't happened yet. And so what should we be praying for? More people to come into the kingdom through Jesus. So that we get closer to this time when Jesus is gonna come back and, and establish the new creation. That, that's what Simeon was praying for. And we get to, we get to join Simeon in this, this small, it feels like a small prayer because it doesn't feel like, um, it doesn't feel like we have the voice to bring about a change here. But man, Simeon prayed for the consolation of Israel and he got to see Jesus live and in person. He got to hold him in his arms. God rewards those. Who never give up and continue to pray with hope. So the, our next uh, character in this uh, story is um, Anna. So let's read about Anna uh, in verse 36 of Luke 2. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God. And spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So Anna is uh, a kind of person that we, we think, man, it would be nice to be that kind of person, but I'm just not that kind of person. She, it would be like if you just spent all your time, like, you know, hanging out here in the church building, fasting and praying, and um, fasting and praying, and, and, and fasting and praying, and that was just kind of your life, you know? And this is, this is kind of what she does. This is her life is, is being in the presence of God and praying. What do you think she's praying for? Well, when she sees Jesus, she glorifies God and she starts to tell people that the redemption of Israel is at hand. Like God is has put into motion the things that are gonna buy us back. So redemption is about buying something back, right? So it's, 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 it's taking something that has been sold and buying it back. So Israel had been sold. They had been sold away into oppression and slavery and not having really their own power, their own voice, their independence. And for a lot of people, what they thought at this time when Anna was, was living and fasting and praying in the temple, people thought that redemption is gonna come when God sends someone to kick the Romans out so we can have our own country again. That's what they thought redemption meant for them. But what God intended was to redeem them, not from Roman rule, but redeem them from the power of sin and death. It was much bigger than the Roman empire. As big as that was at the time, sin and death was even bigger. And God sent Jesus to redeem them from sin and death. And she's been praying for this and fasting for this and praying for this and fasting for this. And when Mary and Joseph show up with this baby, she just knows there he is. There's the one who's going to set us free. She gets to hold this baby in her arms and she celebrates the fulfillment of a promise. That's what prayers of hope lead to. Prayers of hope lead to celebration of fulfilled promises. When we continue to hope that God's promises will be fulfilled, then when they are fulfilled, we're the most excited people around. Think about how many people were in Jerusalem at the time. How many of them knew who Jesus was when he came onto the scene. Mary, Joseph, we got a few shepherds, maybe some wise men, and Simeon and Anna. And that's really about it. Everybody else missed it because I don't know why. Maybe, maybe they gave up. Maybe they lost hope that God was gonna fulfill this promise. But Simeon and Anna never did. And so they got to celebrate you could look at them and see them as just these really minor characters. Um, they don't really do anything. They just kind of observe and they recognize Jesus. Or you could ask the question, how did they get into the Bible in the first place? How did these two people get in there? How did they make it into this story, the biggest story ever told? How did they get in there? Well, we think a lot of uh, what the, the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, that the source for a lot of that was, was probably Mary. I mean, Mary was there. She was present. She was, she was thinking about all this. And these two people stuck out in her minds. Why? Because they saw, when they looked at her baby, they saw what she saw. They saw the presence of God come to people. And so they stood out in Mary's mind, so they make it into the Bible after 400 years of hopelessness and despair. These people get to celebrate. So what I want us to do today is, I want us to pray some prayers of hope. We're just gonna close with this. We're gonna pray some prayers of hope. James 5.16 says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Well, what what makes somebody righteous? Righteousness is is having a a heart and mind that are aligned with the heart and mind of God. It's, It's saying, God, I... You've said this and I believe it and I'm gonna pray in line with your nature and your character. You're the one who keeps your promises. You're the one who wants to bring healing and hope and and my prayers are gonna be right in line with you. Whenever we pray in line with the heart of God, that's a righteous prayer and it is a powerful prayer, James says. So this morning, we're gonna pray in line with the heart and the promises of God. So I want to invite you to, to pray uh, along with me and uh, along with the people sitting around you. Uh, if, you're, if you're sitting alone, you want to join somebody. If you've got a friend sitting nearby, go ahead and do that. Um, we're going to pray together um, uh, in three different ways. Uh, we're going to pray some prayers of hope that I, I think are in line with Simeon and Anna. Sometimes it's tempting to, to read the bad news and to give up. And to think we're never going to see, we're never going to see the promises of God fulfilled. But the ones who got rewarded, the ones who got to hold baby Jesus in their arms are the ones who held on and trusted that God was faithful. So we're gonna start with just a prayer for the global church, the global church. Everyone who who calls on Jesus as Lord is a part of the church. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're gonna pray for them because as difficult as it can be to be a Christian in the United States sometimes, we've really got it pretty easy. There are 340 million people living in places where they experience high levels of persecution because of their faith. 340 million, that's about the population of the United States. That's how many people, Christians are in the world where it's difficult for them. Some places they live, it's illegal to be a Christian. A lot of places where they live, it's illegal to try to convert anyone else, to tell anyone else about the hope that you have in Jesus. It's illegal to do that. And so about 5,000 Christians a year are killed for their faith. About 5,000 churches or or Christian buildings a year are attacked or destroyed. About 4,000 followers of Jesus each year are arrested, detained, imprisoned without trial. So I just want to spend some time praying for them. I'm going to give you a couple prompts and I'm going to ask you just to pray uh, with the people together. You can pray aloud and we're, we're just going to lift these people up, our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. We're going to lift them up because we believe That God has promised to be present with them, to comfort them, to restore their hope, to give them strength. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray that they would persevere through difficulties and persecution. And we're going to pray that they would have access to God's word. That's one of the most difficult things for Christians in these countries is it's illegal sometimes to own a Bible. And we're going to pray that they would have access to God's word somehow. Uh, because we know the encouragement that comes from them, and we're going to pray for them to continue to share their faith in spite of opposition, because of their love for the lost. So, just with those three things in mind, uh, would you spend a few minutes with me, just praying for the, the global church? Let's bow our heads. Like for us to pray uh, for those uh, individuals that we know, uh, names that come to mind. So when I when I just kind of share this description, I, I want you to to see if some names come to mind, and maybe even write those names down so you can you can remember this later. Uh, there are people around us who are wounded. They they've experienced some kind of uh, difficulty. Maybe it's a loss. Uh, maybe it's a, a financial struggle. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's a mental health challenge. What what names come to mind? Maybe it's sickness. What, what names come to mind? This morning, we're just gonna stand alongside of Simeon and we're gonna pray for consolation for God's people, that God would heal the wounds, he would comfort the brokenhearted. So whatever uh, names came to mind uh, as I just kind of shared that, uh, let's just spend s- s- some time offering those names up just mention them by name to the Father. He loves them even more than you do. He sees what's going on. He cares. And I believe our prayers matter. So let's lift up our our friends, loved ones, neighbors, co-workers, uh, whoever needs uh, wounds healed and comfort for their losses. Finally, uh, we're going to pray uh, for redemption for the lost. Uh, there are people who are still living under um, the power of sin and death and we're going to stand uh, in line with, with Anna and we're going to pray for redemption uh, for people that don't know Jesus. Um, so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And we're going to stand on behalf of them. So um, as you think in your minds of people that you know that you care about that that need uh, to give their lives to Christ, when those names come to mind, would you stand on their behalf? And we're gonna pray for them. Who who, who do you know? What names come to mind? Would you stand for them? You're standing before God on behalf of someone who doesn't know Christ. You're gonna offer their names to the Father. And you're gonna pray that somehow, God would bring hope into their life through Christ. This is a Christmas prayer, right? God with us. There are people who don't know that God is with them, that God is for them, that Jesus died to set them free, that there is hope of eternal life with Christ. They don't know. So we stand for them this morning and we're gonna offer their names to the Father. And this is gonna be our closing prayer. This is essentially uh, praying for one. And we talk about this a lot. So we're gonna pray for one. We're gonna pray for those individuals that you know and we're gonna pray for opportunities to be an answer to our own prayer. So as you lift these names up, you're saying, God, I want my friend, I want my family member, I want my coworker or my neighbor to know Jesus and I am willing to be a part of that process. Would you use me to show and tell the gospel, to open up a door and invite them to life with Jesus? Let's, Let's pray that prayer together. thank you that Jesus came to bring us hope thank you that he humbled himself he laid his glory aside and he became like us thank you that he was born into a world that was struggling to find hope and that there were people who saw it and were blessed by it and comforted by it and healed by it and God that is our prayer for Christians all over the world who are suffering for their faith, for people who are close to us who are just hurting because of wounds that life deals out. And for those that we care about, God, who don't know Christ and don't know the power of forgiveness and don't know the peace and joy that come from being in relationship with you. We know that you care about all of these matters. We know that these prayers are right in line with your heart and that makes them righteous prayers. So we count on that. But there is power in these prayers. And we ask you to bring hope. Bring hope to the world through Jesus. Bring hope to those who are hurting. And God, bring hope to those who are lost. And would you use us to be a part of that answer to your glory? In Christ's name, amen. Go in peace thank God for the hope that you have in Christ and be salt and light into a world that desperately needs the hope of Christ. God bless you.